You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Hello, my name is Grace, and today's reading is from Psalm 145. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. A song of praise of David. I will exalt you, my my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his grace and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the frame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to the children of many of, of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. And your, de, your, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words, and all in kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call to him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Grace, and good morning to all of you all. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you guys today. We're going to be looking at what it means to be hungry for God. I'm going to pray as we get started. 
Father, uh, we come before you now as, as we've heard your word read. We need it to seep deeply into our hearts. And as we hear from this psalm that, that you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing, God, we confess that we are people who seek to be satisfied by a lot of things besides you. And so would you transform us today as we study this psalm? Help us to be people who seek you, who hunger after you, or who recognize our hunger for you, I should say, that we might turn to you in awe and wonder and praise. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you to, to think back to a time when you were really, really hungry. What's the most hungry you've ever felt? Uh, maybe you, you, as I bring that up, you think, well, I haven't been nearly as hungry as many of the people on earth have, and that's true, but all of us have felt hunger in some regard, right? We've all felt what happens in our body when, when we're hungry, and I'm a little bit weird, I'll confess, when I get hungry, my blood sugar tanks and I feel like I'm going to pass out. Anybody else have that experience? I don't know. I, I have like low blood sugar problems, but all of us probably experience that that empty feeling in our stomach, it starts to growl, it's, it's asking us for some food. And how do we respond? We respond by satisfying that hunger with some sustenance. We, we go get some food and we're good, at least for a little while, right? And, and we can get on with the rest of our lives. But what if, when we felt that hunger, what if instead of eating some good food or eating some real food, we had uh, something that is less than what our body really needs in that moment. Say something like rice cakes. Amen? Any, any of you guys eat rice cakes? I know that they sell rice cakes. I don't think anybody actually eats them. I think they're like, I don't know, they're like styrofoam that you put in your closet just to make yourself feel like you are eating healthy food or something. Okay, for those of you guys who say you eat rice cakes, let's just say instead of eating rice cakes, you eat a clump of dirt or something instead of real food. Okay, that's my point is I'm trying to get away from what would it be like if we were super hungry and we ate something like a clump of dirt or rice cakes, what would our bodies do? Nothing. They wouldn't be satisfied, right? They need some real sustenance. And what we see in Scripture is just as we were created for an, uh, this need for food, we've also been created with a need for God. We are hungry for Him, whether we acknowledge Him or not. We are hungry uh, to know Him, to worship Him, to really stand in awe of Him and wonder and praise and despite our ongoing hunger, we try to satisfy that need for knowing Him and, and praising Him with praising things which are actually not really all that praiseworthy, if we're honest. Things like um, the latest movie, the latest tech product, the latest media hype, right? We could call those rice cakes, if you will. Those are, those are not going to satisfy our hunger. Uh, 
they satisfy our need for awe about as well as a rice cake satisfies our need for hunger. And, and so we need to spend less time praising things like experiences and electronics and entertainment, and instead we need to spend more time standing in awe of the God who is truly praiseworthy, who will truly satisfy us, the God who is supremely great in his existence and infinitely good to us, his creatures. So the big idea, because God is great and good, he satisfies our hunger. And when we talk about hunger, we're not just talking about our physical need, but also our spiritual need. But God satisfies both. Let's look at this through two main points, and then we'll look at how we praise him. Two main points. God is our great creator, and God is our good king. So God is our great creator. Verse 3 said, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is un searchable. Think about that for just a minute. How great is our God? He's so great that his greatness is unsearchable. And another way of saying that is that no one can fathom the extent of his greatness. It is beyond our ability to comprehend how great he is. Later, the psalm exclaims, I will praise your name forever and ever and this is because his greatness has no end to it. It will take literally an eternity for us to be able to begin to uncover and recognize God's majesty and power. As we sang in that song just a few minutes ago, that for 10,000 years and forevermore, we will be singing his praise. It's because God is both infinite and great and so his greatness is infinite. We will never find the end of his greatness. So how, how can we possibly begin to wrap our minds around how great he is? You know, oftentimes when we're trying to understand something, we use comparison to aid us, right? But what can we actually compare God to? What can we compare him to? When we, when we get down to it, the real answer is nothing. There is nothing that quite compares to him. Everything else falls short. Every other glimpse of greatness is actually just dependent on the greatness of God, and the greatness that it has is actually just pointing us back to him. You might say, well, okay, but hold on. What about the greatness of God's creation? And, and it is great, but creation itself is limited, God is not. You go, okay, well, well, what about the human body? The human body is incredible, right? It, even the way that we've been able to study the, the, how it's, it's kind of its own ecosystem, right? And, and the way that we've learned about, through the Human Genome Project, learned about DNA and its mutations and nutrition and health, isn't that just incredible? Yes, and all of these things will be an ongoing study until Jesus comes back. It's going to take us forever to try and understand the human body. Yet, all of these things are contained within us, our own bodies, and what our bodies encounter, and they, again, are limited. You go, okay, fine, but what about the, the depths of the Earth's oceans, right? We, for for 10,000 years plus of human civilization, we've only explored 5%, get that, 5% of the Earth's oceans. 
And, and that is true. That's incredible. It's, it's amazing when we start to, to study that. But once we've covered that other 95%, we're done, right? We've, we've covered it all. And so therefore, that is limited. Last one. How about molecular biology? And, and my answer to that is, I have no idea what molecular biology is. I have trouble pronouncing the word, actually. You might have noticed that. But it is an area of study, and therefore it has a predetermined scope. It is limited. You go, okay, actually, that wasn't the last one. One more. What about the unfathomable vastness of the universe? And i got to be honest, that is as close as we can come, because in Millions of years, we will probably barely scrape the surface of studying and knowing what is going on in the hundreds of billions of galaxies that are out there, and who, who knows what else is out there beyond what we've found so far. But all of these things, all of these sciences, all of these studies of creation, they're all cause for amazement, but they are finite. And for any of these things to have greatness is ultimately pointing us back to the greatness of the God who made them. And so we don't want to merely praise great things in creation or the great people who are making discoveries about them. When we get that little taste of greatness, when we experience it and, and, we, and that longing for awe in our hearts begins to be teased, what we're to do is actually direct then our hearts and our minds and our voices to the God who made these things. Because through these things, his greatness is being revealed. God's greatness, it's, it's so inherent, it's so flawless, that there is literally nothing in the world or the entire universe that quite compares to it. So God is our great creator, but he's not just great, and here's Here's where the good news really starts to take root. God is not just great. He's also good. Because if God were just great but not good, he'd be worthy of being uh, feared. Uh, we would be terrified of him, but we wouldn't necessarily be inclined to praise him. And likewise, if he were good but not great, we wouldn't be inclined to praise him. And, and as I've said before, I have a, a lap dog at home, the King Charles Cavalier Spaniel, who is good, but he ain't great, right? And, and he, he, he's not worthy of praise. I, part of why I have him is because he's not great. I don't want a dog that can take me, you know what I'm saying? I want a dog that if for whatever reason he gets mad, I could take him. But God, on the other hand, is both. He is both great and good, which is what leads us to that truly satisfying praise. So let's look at God as our good king, uh, and we're going to look at this through a number of different verses, but we're going to focus it first just on verse 8, 9, and 13, where it said, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all think both good people and bad people. He's good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God is not only our maker, but he's also our good king. 
And just as we saw with his greatness, which was unsearchable, his goodness is unsearchable. We will never exhaust our understanding of his goodness. But I do want to attempt to try today, okay? So don't worry, I'm not saying I'm going to preach a sermon for an eternity right now. But my goal in this time would just be to stoke a desire for all of us to spend our lives discovering more and more and more about how good our King is. And here what we saw in verses 8 and 9 especially are echoes of Psalm 34, the most quoted passage in the whole Bible, where God reveals himself and he tells us who he is and what he is like. And these echoes we saw that he is gracious, verse 8, meaning that God gives unmerited favor. God's kindness to us is not dependent on us earning it. In fact, we never could. But he willingly shows kindness to us. He freely gives us grace. That's how good he is. But he's also slow to anger. Verse 8 also said, now if God never got angry, then he wouldn't be good. You know that. If God never got angry, he wouldn't be good because evil should make a person angry. And God does get angry at evil. But the good news here is that he is slow to anger, which means he patiently restrains his anger, which again, it's good news for all of us because we deserve his anger. Amen? As sinners, we deserve his anger, but in God's forbearance, again, verse 8, he is abounding in steadfast love. God's love is abounding, and it's, it's steadfast, it's consistent. It's not dependent on how well we're doing one day over another. His, his love is not dependent on us, just like His grace is not dependent on us, because God is love. And lastly, He is merciful, verse 8 and verse 9. His mercy, it said, is over all that He has made. In other words, we can see God's compassion in all the things that he has made. Now just think about this for a minute. Where do we see these characteristics of God in his creation? Even just the fact that we can take a breath right now and God has provided for us a healthy balance in the earth's atmosphere of the amount of oxygen that we need is a sign of God's goodness, kindness, his love, and grace. And we see everywhere around us, we see beauty and joy and life. I think when I, when I start thinking about this stuff, I start thinking about David Attenborough documentaries, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? David Attenborough is that guy that you hear on all the BBC uh, nature documentaries. It seems like he's on every single one. He's been at it for like 50 years or something. So you just associate his voice with those, uh, those films, but I loved like Planet Earth and Planet Earth 2 and some of these just beautifully shot documentaries, and I remember on one of those there was this scene where there's a, a watering hole in the middle of nowhere in Africa, and it's in, in the dead of summer and there, there's been drought everywhere, but there's this torrential downpour of rain and it's formed this beautiful watering hole, and animals from all over the animal kingdom, animals that would otherwise like eat each other, 
are coming from all over the place to this, to this one centralized location. Who knows how God has given them instinct to find this thing. And they're drinking and God is providing for them. And that's the kind of picture that I see is there's death and, and drought everywhere around them. God is giving them this sustenance and this water that they need. And we see that kind of thing across all of creation. There's flourishing and abundance and fulfillment of need from everyone from the most powerful person on earth to the most insignificant flower or insect. God provides. He gives everyone a place and a purpose and a provision. In his kindness, verse 16 says that, and this is probably my favorite verse in the whole psalm, he opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. God opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. He's so good. He's so good. Now sadly, and you guys might have already been thinking this way, sadly we live this side of the fall of humankind and sin has tainted everyone and everything and human sin, including poor stewardship, has even caused dysfunction in creation, which prevents a lot of plants and a lot of animals and a lot of people from actually getting the kind of provision that they need. Human greed, human folly, and more has led to the poverty and and suffering of millions. And so while God is merciful, it can be easy for us to disregard His goodness and His mercy. But we got to keep reading in this psalm. We got to remember to rightly view the world. We have to remember what verse 14 says the Lord upholds all who are falling, He raises up all who are bowed down, who are humbled before Him. That is how good He is. And we remember what verse 17 says the Lord is righteous in all His ways, He's kind in all His works. And so God is not responsible for human sin. He allows it, but he's not responsible for it. He is righteous, it said, and kind. He cares deeply, deeply for the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable and the abused and the hungry. In the story of Jonah, it says even that he cares for the cattle, okay? That's how much he cares, That's how good he is. And the truth is, until Jesus' heavenly kingdom is fully realized after he returns to earth one day, God's merciful hand, it exists alongside the effects of sin. But we don't need to disregard one in order to acknowledge the other. Now, many of us do. Many of us disregard God's goodness But verse 15 says, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. And we read that, and we think, well, how does the Bible even make that kind of a claim? The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. We we know that most people on earth don't look to God. But the psalm isn't saying that everyone acknowledges God. 
In fact, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, as we kind of explore that topic, the Bible becomes very, very clear that apart from God redeeming us, we are all unrighteous and we actually suppress the truth about Him, meaning that we, we don't even acknowledge His existence, let alone His good provision. And so for f- verse 15 to say, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season, it really just means that everyone is dependent on him for food. Everyone. Every part of his creation. And this is just another sign of his goodness. He doesn't only provide, listen to this, God doesn't only provide for those who acknowledge him. That's how good he is. You know, if I were God... I would not provide for the ones who didn't acknowledge me, wouldn't you? It's like, forget you then, you can starve, right? But that's how good God is. He provides for, as Jesus says, he, he causes his reign to fall on both the good and on the evil. We've taken the gifts that God has given us as, uh, as our provider and we've, we've neglected to acknowledge him. We've, uh, you, you've heard that phrase, bite the hand that feeds you. We've all essentially done that. And, and instead of accepting the gifts that God gives to us and standing in awe of who he is and praising him for his provision, we actually were inclined to turn our attention onto ourselves and give ourselves the credit as the great providers in our lives. I don't know about, about you, but, but I can confess I've done this. You know, we're meant to look outside of ourselves for ultimate provision and satisfaction and purpose. Deep in our hearts, we know that it's not enough to just plug away at the hamster wheel of life, amen, and, and just keep on with this process that we've been handed of working and earning money and buying stuff and consuming it and repeating that process over and over and over again. And yet as we do, as we repeat that process, we can be inclined to believe that we are the ones who are making all of it possible. We, we, we recognize in reality, there's a whole lot of things that we are dependent on that, that, uh, that allow us to provide. And yet we don't even acknowledge those, that we need the planets to keep spinning, for example. We need gravity to keep working. We need air to breathe. We need the water cycle to continue. We need plants and animals to do what they were created to do. And yet, somehow we, uh, we think that we are the exception to God's provision, We are created for God, and yet we think that we get to decide our purpose. We want to decide our own purpose. And in order for us to actually believe that we can decide our own purpose, we have to believe that we provide for ourselves. We have to believe that we are dependent on no one and no thing. And so we we say, look, I'm I'm a great provider. I've got this house here, you know. I've got this sofa, like... That took work. I I worked hard to to raise all that money for that sofa. I've even got dinner. I am a great provider. I worked really hard and I've accomplished a lot. And yet if the question were asked to us, 
How did you manage to provide all of that? How did you manage to keep all the planets spinning and, and the water cycle to continue and all these greater things that are beyond you to happen? How did, how did you manage to do that? The answer our culture anyway would give is science, right? Science has now become an explanation or has gone from being an explanation of understanding the mechanics of how things work to now people have made this leap of faith to declare science the cause of why things work, right? And so what's the result when all of this happens? As we live this me-centered existence, as we explain all of this away, what happens when we've put all this pressure onto ourselves to be the ultimate provider to be the ultimate determiner of our own purpose, we become all hungry. We, th those hunger pains, we, we don't use them to direct our hearts towards God and to praising Him. We just sit in starvation. <laughs> and, and what we've had to do then is to make everything awesome, as we've become all hungry, we make everything awesome to try and make up for it. And even just the way that we use that word is a good example of what I mean. That word awesome, right? It was once used to describe something that causes awe and wonder and amazement, and yet we've made that word completely meaningless. I confess I've done that. Have you guys seen the Lego movie? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, great movie. If, if you're a, a grown-up in this room and you've never seen that movie and you don't even have kids... Still got to watch that movie. One of the funniest movies has come out in the last number of years. Absolutely amazing. Uh, and, and the theme song for the movie, I think I heard somebody, everything, everything is awesome, right? Everything. Now that is a very low bar, I got to be honest. <laughs> everything is awesome. Here's some lyrics really briefly just to illustrate it. Blue skies, bouncy springs, we just named two awesome things. Nobel Prize, a piece of string. You know what's awesome? Everything. Dogs with fleas, allergies, a book of Greek antiquities, brand new pants, a very old vest. Awesome items are the best. Trees, frogs, clogs, they're awesome. Rocks, clocks, socks, they're awesome. Figs, jigs, and twigs, that's awesome. Everything you see or think or say is awesome. <laughs> and obviously it's like hilarious, right? Satire at its best. But we know that satire is only funny because it's actually revealing a truth, right? And the truth is that just like this song uh, says, we have come to believe that the, the, the requirement for something to become awesome is absolutely nothing. <laughs> that everything is awesome. I'll, and again, I'll, I'll confess, I've used this word in this exact way. See, we are so awe-starved, we are so awe-hungry that we actually have to make fun of it in order to try and make ourselves feel better. Rather than looking to the one who is worthy of standing in awe of, rather than seeing the goodness of our God, we've made everything awesome so that we could take credit for being our own providers, and we've explained the rest of it away by saying that science did it. All of us have done this in various ways. I remember a few years ago, I lost my job, 
And I wasn't really laid off, but it was something slightly more passive-aggressive than getting fired, uh, which is actually beside the point, I guess. But I lost my job, and for a window of time, I didn't know if, if or when I was going to find work. I didn't know how I was going to provide for our family. I didn't know how I was going to put food on the table, how I was going to pay the bills. And I was just plagued with stress and anxiety over this thing. And I, I remember one day I was talking to the Lord about it because this anxiety was just crushing me. And, and I was just like, Lord, why is this so hard for me? And I remember him revealing to me in that moment that instead of trusting God to provide, I had actually been trusting my paycheck to provide. I didn't have to trust him. <laughs> And it was in that moment where uh, I, I not only realized how self-centered I had become and not only recognized my need, my real need to go find a job, but I realized that in that moment my greatest need was actually to praise God who, as it said, opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Friends, because God is good and great, He satisfies our hunger. And again, as we're talking about that satisfaction, we're not just talking about physical food, although that is certainly included, we're also talking about our hunger for awe, our, our spiritual food. And what this psalm tells us we must do in response to His greatness and His goodness is we've got to praise Him. We've got to praise Him. And so how do we praise our great Creator and our good King? The psalm actually talks a lot about this. I don't know if you picked up on this. The ESV Study Bible helped highlight how often this, this happens, for me anyway, as I was reading. Here's what it says. Uh, how we praise our great Creator and our good King, we extol Him. Verse 1. That's to tell how great our God is. Uh, we bless him, verses 1, 2, 10, and 21. That's to speak well of God for his generosity. We praise him, verses 2, 3, and 21. That's to glorify God for his just incredible qualities, his character, as we saw earlier. To commend his works, verse 4. That's to speak highly of God. We're to declare his mighty acts, verses 4 and verse 6. Not only his mighty acts in creation, but also his mighty acts in redemption and what he has done in redeeming us. We speak about him, verse 6. We pour forth his praise, verse 7. We sing aloud. Aloud, that means that we're going to have to shout sometimes at church services and community group gatherings and when we're with friends and we're with family, even maybe friends, sometimes when you're at work. Oh, that's... <laughs> the room just got quiet, sorry. We're going to have to sing aloud. We've got to sing aloud. We've got to praise Him. And we've got to give thanks to Him. Verse 10. You get the sense, just from this quick survey, that this psalmist is going to explode trying to proclaim God's praise. He just cannot contain it. He's used every single word that he can think of to describe what it means to praise God for His goodness and for His greatness. And did you notice that praise isn't merely something that is done internally? It's not just something that we experience in our hearts, but it's something that we do with our mouths. 
It's something that has to be expressed. We don't just praise God silently, although we do that as well. But we should be praising Him out loud. We got to do it out loud. We got to tell everyone about His goodness and His greatness. We got to tell our kids and our grandkids. Verse 4 said, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It doesn't matter whether you're a father. Happy Father's Day, by the way, which this is our job, fathers, to do this. It doesn't matter, though, if you're a father. It doesn't matter if you're even a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt. You might even be one of those volunteers in kids' ministry that that Bill just recruited. No matter who you are, we get to tell the next generation about the goodness and the greatness of our God. This means that when you're hanging out with the littles, you know, in the the backyard, that you get to praise Him. You get to say, look, look at those little ants, guys. Look at what they're doing. They're doing what God made them to do. Isn't He great? Isn't he amazing? And and you you get to point to the the tree in the yard and tell those little kids, you get to say, God is so good that he gave us these trees so that we could have oxygen to breathe and shade to enjoy. Isn't he good? But we also tell the saints in general, not just the littles, right? Verse 10 said, we tell the saints, and the saints aren't the guys with the fancy hats. The saints are just our fellow citizens of the king, fellow Christians. So when you're at that summer barbecue and you see that smoke rising from that grill as the sun is going down, use it as an opportunity to praise him. Praise him together. Now I know some of you guys are getting a little weirded out. You're like, just calm down, Joel. Just chill out a little bit. Like, don't need to shout or get all excited, this, the thought of, of speaking or shouting, let alone singing publicly around other people to you is just like sounds, whoa, I don't know. But let's be honest, friends. Let's be honest. We all need to loosen up a bit. Amen? We all need to loosen up a bit and be willing to risk our own humiliation even for the sake of God getting praise. Now, when I say humiliation, don't worry, I'm not like telling you you got to like, I don't know, manufacture some sort of praise Tourette's or something, you know, like, praise him, you know, just like out of nowhere, it's like, hallelujah, you know. Uh, But I am saying that as we focus our attention on God more than ourselves, as we stand in awe of his goodness and his greatness, we're naturally going to think of things that we want to praise him for. It's going to come to our minds. Question is, are we going to allow it to come to our mouths? That's the question. And you know, we are satisfied by God when we stop to recognize his absolute greatness and goodness, but it's completed when we verbalize it. When we stand outside of ourselves, when we stand outside of our little worlds, <laughs> our, our immediate circumstances, right? And, and when we start to look at the majesty that transcends those circumstances, that transcends all of time, we get our hunger satisfied. That desire for awe. We, our perspective, it's, it's recalibrated. We start to see things rightly when we see God and his greatness and his goodness. 
And you know, we see his greatness and his goodness uh, more clearly than anywhere else. We see it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who in his life, he showed God's character, his mercy, his love, his grace, all the things that we read about earlier. He showed us what God is truly like. He forgave. He healed. Jesus, he fed people. He washed their feet. He gave life to those who had died. His greatness and goodness, though, it comes to full Focus even more when we look at the cross, where we see God's justice, God's righteousness, and his love all converge in one place. More richly than we see it even in his creation, although it is so clear there. At the cross, we see that God is just so much so uh, that, that he will one day return to destroy all wickedness on earth. But on the cross, we see that his uh, love actually controlled his justice to the point where he would rather destroy his own son than destroy even the wicked, us, those who deserve to be destroyed. The king who deserved every creature's praise was instead humiliated, hanging Enduring the most severe form of suffering that humans have come up with. And he was doing it for us, those who had treated him as our enemy. And so we can never doubt God's goodness when we see how much he loved us. That he withheld nothing, not even his own son. We can never also doubt God's greatness because death couldn't hold him. He rose he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the seat of all power, glory, and might. And today Jesus is busy fulfilling verse 13, where it said, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Some of you hear that word dominion and you're like, Yes. <laughs> Jesus has dominion, but some of you are going, I don't know if I, I like that word. Dominion? His dominion is both good and great. It, it's not domineering. It's not what you think of when you think of dominion. His is a heavenly dominion. His dominion is the sort of thing that is actually good for everything that it touches. Because when dominion comes from a good king, he doesn't seek to use his dominion to gain power and control because he already has supreme power and control. He doesn't seek to gain anything because he already has everything. And so Jesus doesn't use his dominion to gain. He uses it to give. Jesus uses his supreme power and dominion to give us good gifts like the Psalms talked about. Life, satisfaction, strength, even salvation. Today, if you don't know Jesus, today is a day where you get to surrender yourself to him. Receive that gift of salvation. Because God is good and great, he satisfies our hunger. And I want to give you guys just a quick uh, few questions for your community group gathering. Some of you guys during the summer, you're 
as you're, as you're gathering with your community groups, it's much more informal. It's much less frequent with people being in and out of town and stuff, and maybe you're just doing dinner. But some of you guys also are still working through these questions, so we're going to give you them for this psalm series. The first question, is it okay to love tacos? Um, and... <laughs> I'm not going to give you a whole lot of context for that question. I know it has nothing to do with anything that I just talked about. If you're like, hold on, where did he talk about tacos? I didn't talk about it at all. But downstairs, Bill is talking about Psalm 145 with the littles, and he's, and he's talking to them about how uh, we should be loving God, and he compares it to tacos. So for those of you who are parents and you pick your kids up, that question is going to start to make a whole lot more sense as you talk with them about what they learned today, so that's why I put it on there. But then secondly, where have you turned to try to satisfy your hunger? Like, what have you looked for to satisfy your hunger? Um, And then lastly, spend some time praising God for who He is and what He's done. Just enjoy focusing your hearts and attention on His goodness and His greatness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much. We praise You so much for who you are, that you're a God who is gracious and merciful and you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so today we worship you because you are worthy of our worship. We see your goodness and your greatness in what you've made. We see your goodness and your uh, greatness in the kindness that you have shown to us through Jesus. And so we pray today that as we tend to focus our attention myopically on ourselves and we tend to navel gaze and think about only what's in front of us, God, help us to look up and to see you for who you truly are and to be satisfied. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.